Today's verse is from the book of Matthew, reading from chapter 6, um, from verses 1 through 6, and then 16 to 18. If you'd like to follow along, please do so. It is on page 6 of the bulletin. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I believe Father's Day is next week. (laughs) Otherwise, my kids are in trouble. Paula actually turned to me and said, I almost had a heart attack. All right. (laughs) It's all right, even if that's how it played out. That's all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, But on another note, before we begin uh, looking at this passage today, I I would like to pause and start off by praying uh, for the tragedy that occurred last night in Orlando. Uh, Another mass shooting, tragically Uh, nightmarishly, uh, we need God's mercy. Let's pray together. It's hard to believe that we're praying for this again, God, though on one level, we're very aware that we live in a broken, terror-stricken world. We pray for your mercy for the over 20 people that were shot and killed last night, and for the over 40 people that were wounded We pray that you would have mercy upon them. We pray that you would bless the families of the deceased with comfort as they grieve, that you would be near to them in their shock, that you would provide even now the healing that they need. I do pray that the church of Jesus would rise up as a beacon of hope, a refuge in a time of need. We do pray for healing in this world. We pray for the end of violence. 
pray even for the end of death. We know that day is coming. That's your promise. But until that day, we do weep and we do grieve and we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And so even as we pray, looking at this passage, God, we're reminded as we turn to your word that life is for real and life is fragile. We ain't playing. So give us words that are food for us to eat in our souls. Give us something that we wouldn't even tell ourselves because it comes from the heart of God. Give us something that is life-giving, that is alternately encouraging as well as humbling and challenging. We need all of it because we need you. So bless this time in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how would you complete this sentence? One of the biggest problems in Christianity is blank. How would you complete it? I don't know what you would fill in in that blank. One of the biggest problems in Christianity is. But I'll tell you how a large number of people across our country today would. 85% of young people outside of the Christian church reportedly believe that Christians are rightly described as hypocritical. Even among those who do attend church, perhaps many of you, a full 47% say that they believe that Christians are hypocrites. That's according to research summarized in a very helpful book called Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity. There they share stories like this, a 24-year-old single mom named Victoria who says, everyone in my church gave me advice about how to raise my son, but a lot of the time they seem to be reminding me that I have no husband, and besides... Most of them were not following their own advice. It made it hard to care what they said. They were not practicing what they preached. Amber, age 22, said that her mom used to work the angles with the church they attended. Our family needed help, she said. I still remember my mom trying to get in close with the leaders of the church, kind of pretending to be spiritual. At least that's what I thought of her. I still have major doubts that she's as spiritual as she tries to make herself out to be. In other words, the charge against Christians oftentimes is that they say one thing but live something entirely different. And guess what? Jesus agrees. One thing that really bugged Jesus was hypocrisy. We see it clearly in today's passage. Jesus is addressing three areas of life in God's kingdom. First, in verses 2 to 4, he talks about giving to the needy. The word that Jesus uses there might be translated almsgiving. This is gifts of compassion to the poor. Then in verses 5 to 6, Jesus addresses, secondly, the topic of prayer. Of course, prayer is simply talking to God, whether if that's to ask him for something or to express thanks or just to disclose your heart in relationship. And thirdly, in verses 16 to 18, in the final paragraph, Jesus talks about fasting, which might be unfamiliar to some of you. This is just the spiritual practice of refusing food or drink for a time to focus on prayer. Fasting sort of trains our bodies as well as our souls 
in spiritual self-discipline and self-denial. That, that's to cultivate a deep hunger for God that's closer to the kind of physical hunger that we have for food. Three times as Jesus is describing these three areas of spiritual life, giving, prayer, and fasting, Jesus describes people that do this wrongly often as being hypocrites. Verse 2, so when you give to the needy, he says, do not announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do. Verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, he says. And in verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Hypocrites. But what does Jesus really mean? What does he teach about hypocrisy in this called the Sermon on the Mount? Well, he teaches us three things. We'll look at these briefly, and then we'll talk about this in some Q&A. He tells us about the motives of hypocrisy, and then secondly, he tells us about the reward of hypocrisy, and lastly, with a lot of hope, he tells us about the healing of hypocrisy. Motives, reward, and healing. Let's learn a little bit about it. First, the motives of hypocrisy. Jesus does expect his followers to be generous givers. He says in verse 2, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. He also expects Christians to be in constant communication with God. In verses 5 and verse 16, he says, when you pray, not and when you fast, not if you pray, and if you fast. But notice, he says, generosity and piety aren't enough. Our motives matter. The hidden goals of our heart. Here's the big question. Why are you giving to the needy? Why are you praying and fasting? As one commentator put it, the question is not so much what the hand is doing, passing over some cash or a check or closing them together in prayer, but rather what the heart is thinking while the hand is doing it. This is the problem of hypocrisy, a word that Jesus uses that's borrowed from the world of Greek theater, in fact. It's a word that refers to actors on a stage. These are pretenders, people that are sort of putting on a show. Verse 2, Jesus says they are doing this to be honored by others. In verse 5, they love to pray standing in synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. In verse 16, they disfigure their faces in fasting to show others that they are fasting. Of course, the overarching statement that Jesus makes to even kick off this passage of teaching is found in verse 1 where he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Of course, Jesus doesn't mean that you can't pray in public or that all of your giving must be anonymous giving. Jesus is after something deeper. He's going deeper as he does throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen that a number of times. He's putting his finger on the motives of our heart. He's talking about the way in which we are simply in love with the praise of people. 
the way in which we are almost sometimes stuck in habits of constantly performing publicly, even in areas of spirituality. Where we turn an act of generosity and piety into an act of vanity. Such that the main motive for our giving is not even anymore the benefit of the person that we're giving to, but rather our own benefit. The increase of our reputation as a spiritual person, impressing others that they might think more highly of us. If you're anything like me, a, a natural people pleaser and performer, then you know just how challenging those words really are. To be reminded more than we like to believe, friends, motives matter. Why you're doing something matters to the heart and in the accounting of God. We really don't believe this. Number one, because we really do believe that what goes on in our hearts is secret to everyone. Surely many people can't see what my true motives are. Truth is, a lot of times people can see it more than we think. But we don't even believe there's anyone out there like God who might actually have insight into the operations of our soul. But we're also bought into this sort of strange, goal-oriented pragmatism. As if all that matters is what I do, in the end, the ends justify the means. And so all that matters is that I'm able to help people that are in need. Why I do it, and what's really going on underneath the hood of this engine, doesn't really matter, we think. And so I can give and give and give with utter self-centeredness. And we shrug and think it doesn't matter. Or I can be generous and really in my heart of hearts be doing it for the eyes and the applause of other people. Whether if that's to get my name on the wall of a building or if it's simply for my name to be associated amongst my friends with generous causes, that's the real desire of my heart. It's also why I do think, because we don't pay attention to our motives, we don't think it matters, I think this is also why many of us are able to conclude that we are, for the most part, pretty good people because we're only focusing on external behavior or end results. We don't think anyone really cares about our true hearts. And yet the Bible says, don't you see how much you uh, infect and even disfigure even good things on the surface with a twisted, self-centered motive? What's the alternative? Well, Jesus tells us, of course, in verse 3, he says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And in verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. 
verse 17, he says, but when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. In other words, give, pray, and fast. Do it in secret. Do, do it far from the eyes of other people. Do it not for the sake of the applause of others, but simply for the sake of doing it. Don't tell others about what you've done. There's a sense in which we're not even to tell ourselves what we've done. That's what this don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing talk is all about. It doesn't actually make literal sense, but it's almost as if even within your own body, even within your own self, don't be overly transactional and self-aware about the good things that you're doing, whether if it's prayer or if it's sacrificial service. Don't be overly people conscious but don't be overly self-conscious either. Do these things ultimately as a matter between you and God. As John Calvin put it in the 16th century, he means that we ought to be satisfied with having God for our only witness. In other words, do these things. Yes, do them. But do them for an audience of one, God alone. Hypocritical prayer is praying to others. In verse 6, we're told that true prayer is actually finally praying to God. To actually have God in view and not just the chorus and crowd around you. And let's be clear this doesn't mean, first of all, that you cannot give or pray in public settings. We shouldn't take this to mean that. Again, as if the only kind of honorable giving is anonymous giving, or that we should even shrink away from anything that actually is a public sort of form of generosity or even prayer. No, Jesus rather is simply calling us to be attentive to what's going on in our hearts. Neither is he saying then we have to have perfect motives, totally pure even to move forward in any of these actions. No, he's not saying that either. You would never actually get to that point then, would you? He's saying rather be aware, be repentant, renew yourself in the grace of God, and then move forward. We'll talk about that more in a second. But thirdly, I think it's important to make sure that it's clear he's also not just talking about natural temperament either. In other words, introverts, you're not off the hook, right? Because, of course, some people by personality are going to struggle with it a little bit more. Maybe, maybe you're a natural crowd pleaser. Maybe you're, you, you, you relate to and you take in the energy of those around you. You notice the people around you. But there are others, of course, many of you, who are actually saying, okay, this isn't really a problem for me because my utter nightmare is to be noticed. Uh, it's the worst possible thing. He must not be talking about me. But first of all, notice there are introverted ways of doing this very sort of thing. Uh, like a person that I came across years ago who, of course, wasn't praying loudly to be noticed in a large room in front of a crowd, but was pretty, pretty keen on making sure I noticed all their prayer journals on their bookcase. All the ways in which they had written down things, demonstrating their faithfulness in prayer. But more importantly, 
Remember that the problem, even with consciousness of other people, ultimately is the problem of self-consciousness. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor, was really helpful when he says about this passage, I can lay myself into a spectator of my own prayer performance. I can lay on a very nice show for myself, even in the privacy of my own room. Because sometimes you see the street corners that you're playing to are not out there. They're also right in here. Because you're aware of the sort of proverbial crowd or panel evaluating how you're doing, even if it's you in isolation by yourself. Dear friends, what does this look like in your life? Man, like I said, th this is a struggle for me. Because I'm attuned to the people around me. And how often I've caught myself, maybe you have too, praying and realizing I'm sort of editing my words more to be listened to by the ears of other people around me, trying to impress them, than I am actually focusing my heart on God. Or am I giving the subtle ways in which I can sort of make sure that people know uh, that I've given a gift to another person, or that I've been generous, or to a person that I've given to that I'll make sure to bring it up, not too frequently, and not too soon after I gave it, but soon enough to remind them, I've been generous to you. And it's never crass, and it's never obvious, it's subtle, I'm pretty good at it, aren't you? But we do these things. What does that look like for you? Do you feel the challenge of Jesus here today, the challenge of religious hypocrisy? Secondly, Jesus also points our attention to the reward of hypocrisy. Because living as a religious hypocrite, playing to the crowds in our giving and our praying and fasting, isn't without its cost and consequences. Because it actually totally distorts and damages our giving and our praying and our fasting. For example, in the case of prayer, praying for the eyes and the ears of other people totally stunts our spiritual growth. Why? Because you're not actually praying. There's no faith, no spiritual vitality, no actual connection with God. You are literally going through the motions for the eyes of other people with no benefit to your soul. John Stott, who was famous for his own steadfastness in prayer, so helpfully comments that nothing destroys prayer like side glances at human spectators. I'm not at all benefiting from praying when I'm wondering how I'm sounding. But notice also what Jesus says about the reward of hypocrisy. Maybe that sounds like strange language to you, but he talks about a reward that comes with living like this. Three times in verse 2 and 5 and 16, what does Jesus say of those who give and pray and fast in order to be noticed? What does he say? Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, you'll get exactly what you wanted, but nothing more. Listen, the great tragedy of the human condition is this. There is a deep and unquenched longing in our hearts to be seen by God 
to still be loved even after all our secret flaws are known. And the great cry of our souls is to be honored by God, someone whose evaluation actually matters, matters infinitely, in fact, someone whose esteem of us won't change. But in our self-centeredness, in our sinful pettiness, let's call it what it is, we settle for so much less. The flaky honor of people, their fleeting applause, the eyes of approval of mere human beings. If you live a life of spiritual pretending, living for the applause and approval of others, you might get exactly what you want, some petty strokes, temporal fame, a good reputation among your friends, but dear friends, that might be all you ever get. The reward of playing to the crowd is that you'll get exactly what you want, but here's good news. The God of grace always gives you more than what you want. And the grace of God teaches us to want more, namely, God himself. He offers you more. He enlarges your soul to desire more, and he delivers more, and he does it in Jesus. This is the healing of our hypocrisy. Jesus's answer to the problem is simply this, that we become not people that are self-conscious nor people-conscious, but rather God-conscious. This is how we can begin to be set free from our slavery to the eyes of other people and the approval and the applause of those around us, even in our giving, even in our praying and our fasting. Notice that Jesus repeatedly reminds us that God sees all things. In verses 4 and 6 and 18, three times he refers to God as one who sees what is done in secret. In verse 6 and 18, he calls God one who is unseen. You see, the problem of hypocrisy is that there's a gap, there's a divide between what's on the outside and what's on the inside. And as we said before, you really think what's going on in the inside is a secret. Oh, how much it helps to know that God actually sees all that no one else sees. God knows who you are in the quiet of your room in isolation. God knows the deepest desires of your heart, even when in the moment's sort of meditation, you're already lying to yourself and deceiving yourself about where your true motives really are. That God knows even those turns of argument, even within yourself. God sees and knows all things. And I tell you, when I used to think through this, I could only hear that as a word of threat. And maybe that's how you're hearing it. Don't be a hypocrite. God sees everything. God knows everything. God, he, he knows the motives of your... Listen, this is good news. Do you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying every little thing that you do, every act of generosity, every little prayer that you stumble through, everything that happens, even apart from the seeing eyes of the world, God is paying attention. So you don't need to boast. You don't need to pander to the desires and the applause of other people. 
You don't need to play to the crowd in order to make it feel like those things counted. What if no one notices, says our anxious heart? What if that prayer didn't count? What if that act of service behind the scenes goes forgotten? Here's good news. God sees it all. There's not a single act of faithful service that you do in Jesus' name that God will ever forget. There's not a single word of prayer that you have stumbled through and uttered before God in the secrecy of your own room and heart that God has not heard in Jesus' name. You don't need to pretend anymore. You don't need to play anymore because God sees it all. And if we would just believe that, by the grace of God, how much freedom it would give us not to always have to turn outward to receive approval and applause and love and affirmation, but rather we could turn inward. More than that, we can turn upward to God himself, which leads us to the second point, that Jesus reminds us again and again, not just that God is one who sees all things, but most importantly, that God is our heavenly Father. The story of scripture is that God brings us into a relationship with himself. People that deserve the judgment of God that we would be not simply forgiven and continuing in a relationship as a forgiven former convict in the kingdom of God. But rather he takes the additional mind-boggling additional step of then adopting us into his family and calling you a son or a daughter of God. God offers you more than forgiveness. As great as forgiveness is, as essential as it is, there's no hope of being in right relationship with God apart from his forgiveness, including forgiveness for our hypocrisy. But what you really need to know is that he's made you his child and that you are in a relationship with him where you can now call him father. Why does this matter? Because now you know you've got daddy's eyes on you always. Who sees you now and whose eyes matter to you most now? Not the crowds and the people around you but your heavenly father who can't take his gaze away from his child. Whose honor are you after now? Not the crowds around you and the people and not even your own, but the God who says, you are my esteemed child. You bear my name. You have my honor. Come into the pleasure of your father, the delight of your daddy, dear son, dear daughter. And don't you see when it starts to fill your heart at the very points at which we are most feeling weak and insecure and lusty of heart for the eyes and the honor of people. When we give and boast and give so as to be seen by others, or we pray to attract the honor of those around us. No, not anymore, because what matters most is my Father loves me. My Father sees me. My Father honors me. This is the good news of the grace of God, and this is the power of freedom from a life of divided hypocrisy. 
then with full hearts, maybe, just maybe, we can begin to give. Maybe for the first time, with full hearts, out of a genuine love for people, for their benefit, not for mine. And then maybe I can actually pray out of a genuine love for God, for his ears, and not for others, and not even for my own. Then maybe I can learn that there is no greater power than this Father's love. Finally, you're living because of love. This is the vision of life that Jesus puts before us. This is the way in which he calls us out for our hypocrisy, but also gives us the hope of healing in our hypocrisy. We ain't fooling no one, but we're loved by someone, dear friends. This is God, your heavenly Father. Will you come near to him today? Let's pray. Jesus, we're asking that you would be our Savior for some, for the first time, for others, in a deeper and truer way as we commune with you. Please set us free from all of these temptations and even the lies of our heart, but make us more like you. Change our hearts. Give us release and freedom in life. Help us to give like you. Jesus, help us to pray like you, to fast like you, to live righteously like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing. Amen.